0: What is it? Hello?
1: What's up? Welcome back. This is Ro. First off, if you are a longtime subscriber to the show and you are here listening to this right now, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I fully acknowledge that I am horrible about getting new episodes out, keeping up to date on the content. I've actually gotten pretty lax about running the Facebook group for the page as well. Um, It's I'll go into it at the end of the episode and try to get everybody caught up with what's been going on But basically life happens. I'll go into more of that later Uh, This episode we're going to be discussing artificial intelligence and its place in the world of arts um, this episode, I have James P. Nettles coming on the show, Jim, and I also have uh, Joe from Ozone Nightmare coming on the show. I could not have picked two better people to discuss this topic with. Jim runs an organization or a group or it's hard to explain exactly what the hell it is. And he does in the show. And sometimes I even have my hard time wrapping my head around it called Continual, the con that never ends. He has his fingers in a lot of the media world. And to some extent, he also is involved very much with this artificial intelligence stuff. He couldn't go into a lot of it on the show. And of course, I wasn't going to ask him, but he's very well versed on this topic. Joe, on the other hand, is the opposite side of the coin, where Joe is also an artist um, for drawing and, you know, various things like that. And he is also very much into the realm of Philip K. Dick, Isaac Asimov, sci-fi, sci-fi, all of these different things and they both have their fingers on the pulse of this topic in very different ways. So James did a show on it about a week ago. He has a podcast. that He runs through continual discussing all of these different things. It was about a half hour long. And I heard that and, I, and my brain sparked and went, hey. Here's a show. Here's something that I want to talk about. Um, longtime listeners will probably note that every once in a while, I like to dip my toe back into the pool of artificial intelligence because every so many years, it seems like there's a big jump in this stuff. This time around, I attribute it to uh, probably COVID because people were sitting at home not doing anything. So you had a lot of coders and programmers that were probably sitting in front of their computers creating this stuff. So this episode, we go into the ramifications of what these programs are because they were Will create art for you they will create music for you they will they will go out and fix code they will write video games for you if you don't know how to do video games and there's good and bad to both of that full disclosure um, I may have used one of these programs to write the closing music for the show I'll go into more of that later because I kind of have to do that at this point my co- my days of being able to use music for the show are kind of at their end I guess or copyright other people's music I didn't really care because I wasn't making any money off of it so I was like alright whatever But, um, yeah, that's what we discuss here. Um, I also – Lando, which is Joe's co-host over at Ozone Nightmare, I almost bugged him to come on the show because he is a writer. And he is another person that's very much into the sci-fi aspect of it, and their attitudes about this stuff are, are often very different, but Lando's not really somebody that puts himself out there. He's not real accessible, and I didn't know if he would come on the show to do this, so hopefully, Lando, if you hear this, hopefully you guys will you'll carry this conversation on a little bit over on Ozone Nightmare, because I am curious to hear what your thoughts about all this stuff are, especially if you listen to this episode. So, uh, having said all of that, I'm going to jump Jump right in. Oh, one other thing. Just so everybody knows, I have the flu right now. And when I recorded the show, I was running a fever of 101. I was hacking my brains out. I kept uh, muting my microphone so people wouldn't hear it. I had a little space heater right here, keeping me warm because I had the chills. Both of these guys were like, are you out of your fucking mind? Why are you doing this episode? And I said, well things happen and i'm damn sure going to get an episode done this time no matter what so if i sound under the weather or i sound a little bit off that's why i'm actually still sick right now but it's not as bad i'm able to function and i really really want to get this show out and i really want to start producing shows again so now that i've gotten all that out of the way let's jump into this and if anybody's interested about what's been going on i will see you guys at the other side The 9000 series is the most reliable computer ever made. No 9000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information. So I am constantly occupied. I am putting myself to the fullest possible use. Which is all I think that any conscious entity can ever hope to do. Alright, so in this episode, we've got both of my brothers in podcasting back here to talk about artificial intelligence and how it works in the realm of art. So I've got Joe from Ozone Nightmare. Hello! And then I've got returning buddy, James Nettles, or Jim, as we like to call him, we've established before the show. Jim, what is it you're doing now? Because that kind of has... It has an impetus on what we're talking about because you're involved with, um, you've got a media organization or something like that. I remember way back we were talking about you were building it back then, but now it's actually going now.
2: What am I doing? The answer is some of everything. Okay. Um, but in terms of what applies to this, there's several things. So I'm doing a fair amount of consulting, writing, publishing stuff around blockchain, um, around data security. I do a lot of consulting in this space. Uh, Some of it is around game development, these kinds of things. The second part of me has a um, company that does workshops, teaches basically creatives how to consulting for publishing companies, gaming companies, writers, artists. Uh, We're kind of expanding some of that. I am partnered into and consulting for a number of publishing companies in both fiction and nonfiction. We've got the services company where we do, um, of course, I'm still occasionally getting around to actually writing a damn book. I've got five of them in process right now that we'll see what comes out next. You know, in terms of this, one of the things that triggered this, I am also one of, uh, of a couple of people we founded something called Continual, Continual Convention, and Continual started because I was working on this starting about 2017, where we were talking about trying to do virtual events, virtual conventions, virtual programming in sci-fi and fantasy space. And in terms of all the fun stuff that we did, everybody was like, you're nuts. Nobody's ever going to care. Nobody's ever going to come. Nobody's going to show up. We like to do things in person. And when all the lockdown and stuff began, uh, Gail Martin, uh, who's a a good friend of mine, pinged pinged me and John Hartness, who founded Paul Staff Books, pinged both of us and said, okay, so I did a thing. What do we do next? And what I did a thing was, was she had given us a name and had gotten a logo done. And two weeks later, we were dropping our first shows. And now since then, we've got, you know, we, we've we run. I'm still moderating the panel room, which is like a topic show all around somewhere in the publishing creative industry. Um I'm usually doing hot off the press, which is our new releases show. Um, and I produce, and sometimes I'm on the comics layer, which is our comics track. Um, and then I also produce some of the other special event type of stuff that we do. And recently I brought back an old show I used to do, which is called creating pros. And on that show a couple weeks ago, um, because I had some clients, I had some friends, a lot of people coming to me cause I spend a lot of my life talking about intellectual property, IP, well, I am not a law, I am not an attorney. Please do not consider anything we're going to discuss this evening as being legal representation. Um, but I did a show because I had a bunch of people coming in and I know a lot of artists, cover artists, digital artists, stuff like this. I know a lot of people in the effects industry and a lot of people are freaking out because of what is being done with AI's AI art. And, and so I went and said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and bump this show up. And kind of go talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and where I think this is going. That's the short version.
1: So, where do we start with this? Um, I was telling you before the show started that I had um, really been not paying attention to AI or anything like that. My my last reference of AI was Google Dream. You know, where you'd put a picture in and it would make, like, dog faces come out of people's boobs or, you know, whatever. Just weird shit. Um, and then I uh, posted something on the movie page that I run now, and it was something like Jim Henson's um, f- forgotten movie that they made back in the eighties. And I thought it was real, so I posted the pictures, and somebody was like, "Yeah, that's uh, that's Mid Journey official." And I'm I'm like, "What is Mid Journey?" They're like, "It's AI art tools." And I'm like, "This is computer generated AI art." I'm like, I had no no conception of it whatsoever. Um, Actually, my Facebook uh, background screen is this really demented, weird Teletubbies thing done by MidJourney. And then I come to find out that there's programs out there for writing music. There's programs that are out there for writers. There's pro- there's AI for everything. There's even programs now for AI for game developers where it'll essentially you type in what you want it to do and it does the coding for you, which, you know, in, in a weird way, it's it's cool and it's – all of this in my I – see, I, I see all this as very cool, but I also see – the potential for, for bad things that could happen here. But in my mind, I'm, I'm almost 51 and I grew up in the generation of sampling. So in my mind, I'm like, this isn't much different than the whole sampling thing. Granted it's AI, it's doing it, but um, okay, how, this stuff, okay, let's go to mid journey. Like you type something in there and how does it work? It goes out and finds the images and construct an, it constructs an image for you based on the art that's already out there.
2: So MidJourney is running on one of the other source AI platforms. So there are several projects. Um, Dolly, which is part of the OpenAI project, is one of the largest. Uh, And I'm trying to remember which one MidJourney runs off of. But there are several large AI-driven projects that are doing work in the background and have been opened up for commercial use. Um, The AI engines we're looking at now, and I'm going to talk about some of that here as we, we go along, But what's happening with these programs is that they are, let's actually take music first because that's going to be easier to talk about before we get to artwork. What the AIs are doing is they're going out and sampling large volumes of what's being requested. And they're using a lot of metadata, search criteria, uh, stuff off the internet. So when you think about your webpage and you put in tagging or you're using hashtags, a lot of these sorts of things. Well, what's happening is the AIs are going out there and based off of a series of prompts, they are analyzing the work and coming back with an option, or in some cases, multiple options. And the way they do this is by going out and they have large repositories, large samples of music that's out there. And what is really interesting is there was competition done, which was to have people blind evaluate AI-created music from human-created music. And what happened was, from a technical standpoint, the AI music won because it was able to do things in a very precise, very perfect way, based off of the patterns of music of, of popular music songs, and it was able to go out there do that analysis and say. What are what are the kind of the common baselines? What are some of the common things? But also then improvise to a degree to create something, quote unquote, new and original. When we look at artwork, it's doing something very similar where let's say I put in I want to you know, I'm going to have a dog with a gold tooth carrying a machine gun and driving a Bentley. Well, the first thing it does is it goes out there and it says, OK, let me find all of these various images, look for models that have been done out there and try to pull all of that back. And it's going to sample things that you're going to say, that makes sense. I understand the, the picture of the dog, you know, a dog driving a car. I understand the gold tooth. Well, you know, and so the heuristics engine that drives AI goes out there and just samples a whole ton of stuff. And says, all right, well, let's see how this does. And then it throws something back at you. Right now, kind of the critical path item here is that it is responding to a human question or a human inquiry. And then at the end of the day, it is a person or a human being sitting at the end of it going and saying yes or no. So there, it's not entirely isolated, but it, because it's operating to a person putting in a prompt and it's a person deciding what they're going to keep or not keep. But that's really kind of what it breaks down to is it goes out there and samples a ton of work. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this a lot more. But one of the biggest questions going on, and there there is one case working its way through as a lawsuit right now, around is this a violation of people's IP and intellectual property? Or is the fact the systems are doing this in such a way that, it could be considered no different from being a derivative work if a person had done it. And we can dive deeper into that as we go along. But right now the, the interesting part of about this and what's going to come out of case law. And part of what I, I did in the show was talking about kind of the four options of what may come of this. I also talked about what I think the most likely is, but because this is other people's AI or because it's other people's intellectual property that's being pulled in and sampled by the AI, generally there's two findings that already exist within case law. The first of which is that because something is generated by the AI, it's not covered as protected intellectual property because it was not created by a person. The second big piece that is interesting here to look at and evaluate is at what level or what at what point is something a derivative and inspired work versus what is directly sampled and you know when, going back to music you know we all we all remember a lot of the lawsuits around sampling and yeah. lawsuits around um you know uh, you know at what point is something original enough that's one of those things that is that's kind of the long-winded way of saying the ais are going out and sampling based on an inquiry and spitting stuff.
1: Yeah, but they're altering the images that they're finding, though, right? It's not just, like, if you tell it to find a cabin in the woods with a stream going by the front of it with robots outside chopping wood, It's is it going out and finding a cabin in the woods with a water in front of it, and then is it finding robots, and is it assembling all this stuff, or is it altering, like, is it altering the cabin? Is it going, okay, that's what a cabin looks like, I will draw a cabin now. Is that is that how it works?
2: It depends, because the... the Sampling engine is just the first step in the process. So let's say that I go say I want to find a cabin in the woods that's surrounded by stormtroopers and being defended by. Well, the first thing it's going to do is go find out what are these objects and bring back some samples to work with and play with. The next thing is this is where the A.I. piece really kicks in is once it has samples, it says, let me break down what is considered a cabin in the woods well, there's several objects there. There's a cabin, there's woods, there's weather, there's sky, there's ground, there's all this other stuff around it that the more intelligent AIs are smart enough to kind of recognize I need to have all of these elements to be a cabin in the woods. And it does this by layering and then playing with it and interpreting it. And then the next thing that happens is after it's pulled those elements in, it goes to look and say, okay, well, what other stylistic elements that I've been fed. So for example, there's something called the wonder app on mobile devices that offers you the ability to filter and play with a number of different styles, artistic, artistic measures, um, and apply that on top of what the AI has returned. So you can control to some extent stylistically what things like you can do some of that with mid journey as well. Um, but there's a lot of elements that go into this, and depending on what you feed the AI and how many elements you feed to it will then determine how much does it go in and try to manipulate from those source images.
1: So it could, in theory, if Joe were to make a drawing and I was to type in, you know, a guy with a guy with a gas mask and a trench coat with a hat and it pulled one of Joe's images, does it alter that image, though? Like, is, is, is Joe going to be able to look at it and go, that's my artwork. I did that or does it alter it enough to where it gets past the, the, the I thought the, the well, I could be just, this is for patents. I believe you have to change it by 10 or 13% or something like that, but I don't know if that works the same way with media. Well, this,
2: the, well there's another IP case going on right now that is relevant, and I'll, I'll answer your question in a minute. And this is about a, uh, a picture taken of Prince that then was used by Andy Warhol to create the famous Prince work. And the question is, How much did, was that literally just he took and made it different colors? Is it a different derivative? How far is that image off? Because you can definitively tell it's the same picture. Well, with AIs, part of the reason for this lawsuit is because somebody had pulled something with elements enough that they were able to determine the original source picture and was obvious where that had come from. Now, mid and a lot of these other tools, are doing a lot more around what do they do? But I mean, some of the other AI kind of tools that fit into this universe and fit into this modality are things like not human, the, the not human projects. So in other words, creating people that don't exist, never have existed based on average looking people and average looking modalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of this that's going on where it's taking it, and the question is, how far does an AI source have to take it before it is considered a different and an original work?
1: So that brings me to the next question, because obviously this software, I thought it was in its infancy, but I guess Google Dream would have been the infancy of it. So it's pretty far along. But am I correct in assuming that it's, it's learning and growing and it's, is it going to evolve as it goes on?
2: We're not to Skynet yet, and I I personally have insisted for a very long time when we do get to Skynet, the first thing it's going to try to do is sell something to us. Um, (laughs) But looking at what all of these moving pieces are doing and looking, we're seeing machines that are now teaching machines. It's machine learning. And computer technologies, a lot of these smarter AIs learn the exact same way that we teach a kid or train a pet except there's fewer snacks it's digital snacks you're they learn the same way they learn by experience they learn by um, it's not just hard code programming so we are seeing aIs and intelligent artificial intelligences that are growing to be more than their original constituent parts yeah you know, there's kind of the whole thing a few a, a few months back about and it's happened a couple of times now where Google starts letting three of its different uh, different AIs talk to each other. They develop their own language, and all of a sudden, you have no idea what they really mean when they're saying and using words and language. That's not
1: frightening at all. You know, is the,
2: <laughs> um, Well, I mean, at least right now, we still have the ability to pull the plug on it hypothetically. And again, this is one of those things that is is there an, is there something to be concerned about here? I would say yes. Probably not what people think they need to be concerned about. At least not yet.
1: So, Joe, as an artist, how do you see this stuff? So I think part of what we what we should do
0: is is understand we're talking about several different concerns and components. You would ask the whole separate thing is what this can lead to. But as far as the generative works that these the AIs, they are not all sentience that's been demonstrated, so I do not call these things AIs. I think that's, we use this term, and it's like saying you love everybody. It means nothing anymore. So these machine-generated works based on user prompts What they are generating, because the one discussion I see a lot among a lot of people within the art world is, oh, this is not art. Okay. So let's start with that. It is art because art means nothing. If somebody looks at something that somebody or something created, whether in collaboration or on their own, and they appreciate it as an artistic work, guess what? It's art. You don't have to like it, but it's art. That's why somebody can take a urinal and write on it and have it in a museum and it's worth millions of dollars and I could draw something for four hours with high detail and nobody cares. That's art for you. So the whole thing about whether it's art or not – so that's a silly discussion that people are getting caught up in because they're afraid that what this actually means is that these works will now start putting people out of work and taking jobs away from artists, which to me, that's absolutely going to happen. Let's not pretend it isn't every technological innovation is going to result in the destruction of an industry in which it can do something more efficiently than a person. That's just reality. And people who are doing some of this type of work, the the places in value there are to begin with, they just had no other way to do it. So there was always going to be something that was going to take that away. This is going to be a cheaper option for companies that don't have a budget or people who are going to be able to use these tools, generate whatever they need, whether it's album artwork, editorial illustrations, cartoons, whatever. And so, yes, there is going to be a replacement happening, but it is not in any way a replacement for somebody who actually wants human-generated art because it's not the same thing. This is another conflation point. Oh, okay, the prompts, that means the person created it. No, it doesn't. What you're talking about is a person entered prompts based on something they may have been thinking in their mind, and then the machine interpreted that and then you refine it refine it refine it till you get it to what was in your head but neither the person nor the machine created that independently therefore it's not the same as going to somebody and saying i want you to draw a picture of jean gray and storm wrestling in a vat of jello that's not the same thing you can get that out of there but it's not going to be the same as a human being whose life experiences whose approach to art whose influences change and meld and make mistakes and bounce off each other, and then they produce something. You're not going to be able to replicate that. So it's not going to destroy art. It's not going to replace artists. It's This is a lot of hysteria over what is essentially a tool, a tool that is really no different than – I didn't check on this. I didn't do the research. But I would be fairly certain that at a certain point in history, when the camera – was able to do portraits. There were artists who had always painted portraits of royalty and people and made lots of money that went, no, this will destroy portraiture. How can you have portraits where someone doesn't paint it? This tool cannot capture the essence of blah, 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 blah. Happens every time. It's a lot of uh, somewhat justified fear, but not to the extent that it gets overblown. This is not going to suddenly make it where nobody wants art anymore. It's not going to be. That machine-generated art is going to replace Van Gogh or Michelangelo or Da Vinci or whatever. There's going to be different types of art the way there's always been. So I look at this and I kind of don't understand it outside of the – yes, there are small pockets of certain types of produced artwork, which is generally kind of industry-led and honestly is not really work that values art but that they just need something for almost like placeholder art. So will this be hanging in hotel rooms? Probably. Instead of paying somebody 50 bucks to paint something in 15 minutes, they're going to have this thing spit it out and they're going to put it on a, a Motel 6. Fine. That's not exactly an industry that valued the artwork anyway. They just needed something to hang on the wall so people wouldn't realize they were in a cockroach-ridden, steep, you know, sheet-stained room that was desperately lonely and probably smelled of somebody who died there a year ago. Not really what they <laughs> wanted the <art> for <laughs> anyway. You know what I mean? I'm just saying – I think we've been in the value, same hotel. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. People who actually value art will go to people and say, I'm going to pay you to create a work that cannot possibly be made by anyone or anything else. It's no less unique. And in some ways, that's the thing is this machine generated art is an interesting concept that will evolve and change. And what will be curious to me in terms of the technology is, Will there be a point where we start seeing the machine override what the prompts intend? That will be an interesting day if it comes, where we start to see that, oh, wait a minute. This person asked for this, but the machine is really inserting its own kind of motives onto this artwork. It's going to be tough to figure out what that is, but that'll be curious.
1: James, you brought up on your show that, that like AI appears to have some kind of a sense of humor, and they don't know where it's coming from, if I remember correctly.
2: So, first of all, let me say I am 100% in violent agreement with with Joe. Um, The violent agreement.
1: The hotel did suck.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The hotel did suck, and the dead body was not one I left there. Um, But, well, I may have written that in the story. But I would argue that there is a certain weird sense of humor there coming. And because one of the things that, I've, I've sat and played some with mid-journey. And part of the reason I was doing that was because I was sitting here working on something that, that I couldn't visualize. And I was like, all right, let me see what I can do. And I was, it was partially just curiosity to see how it respond, what it would do. And partially out of a, okay, I just need something that's going to change up kind of the environment I'm playing with. And so while mid-journey is doing some interesting artwork based on the prompts that you give it, um, also, you can see some things in it that are not quite right, but you can tell almost it looks like the AI knows better, and it did the thing that wasn't quite right anyway. So it's artistic uncanny valley then. It, it's arti- I, that's actually a pretty good term for it. So one of the things that I wrote uh, or put in as a prompt just for my own sick humor value, and this has nothing to do with the project that I'm working on that happens to be a sequel to a book, I put in steampunk space gnomes, uh, you know, just as a, I wonder what the hell this thing is going to do. What do you sample? And it had several samples of very similar looking gnomes in space, but one of them off to the side was, looked like, was made of copper and wood and leather and looked like a steampunk cyborg. You know, it was like, as if built in you know built for wild wild west and it was hysterically funny to me and looking at that it with everything else it was well, one of things that struck me as this thing is fucking with me which is perfectly fine <laughs> um but it was so when i look at this i think that there are elements that we introduce that are meant to create randomness and i think that what we see sometimes is the systems the and again this is not right now. This is nothing but code. I can talk about where some of this could go that makes it way more interesting. But right now with these systems, it, it, it really is just about let me see what I can throw together and see what happens. Because part of what's happening with all of these systems that we haven't talked about yet is why they're being made public facing the way that they are. We're playing with them to teach them. Okay, you
1: brought up that there was an art competition out in Colorado, I believe.
2: It was a, it was a state fair in Colorado, and somebody spent some time and and submitted a an artwork that they had created that was purely digital art, but did not disclose that until after the competition was over, and it brought up a fair amount of debate about well, is AI art art? And I would agree absolutely. It is an image or representation that has a potential to invoke a response and a reaction in people. So the answer is yes, it is art. Whether or not people respond to it is an entirely different thing how they respond to it. It's a test designed to provoke an emotional response. Shall we continue? That particular art contest, you know, came in and... and. I believe they still allowed the person to keep the award because it was generated art. But part of the reason there was the discussion was, well, does he own it? Because how can he submit something he doesn't own? And this is And
0: and there. If if I can just jump in for one second, there is one important thing about this, because this is something that got a lot of anger and attention. Again, this is the same type of hysteria thing. One important thing about this. I agree. It is art. That, that That's exactly – I agree there. This was not purely machine-generated. This person did alter the images afterwards because at one point I think one of the people in it was headless, so he placed a head on them. This was not something – I think there was something – I don't think it was quite a thousand images, but there were a lot of images that were generated and this person then manipulated – some of that output to create the final image, which right. makes this a lot more murky because it got reported as AI generated art wins. Cut. Co- no, that's not what happened. There was a and this is really no different than and people don't like to hear this. But back in the Renaissance, in those times, there were artists, famous artists who had schools of people doing their art for them, which is basically the same type of thing. Really, it's interpretation of the basic work that these famous artists were doing and artists were using mirrors and light boxes and they were basically not necessarily tracing things but it's not as if tools had not existed as a shortcut to allow an artist to win the battle that exists between what's in your head and what comes out that's been misreported as this person put in a prompt and submitted what came out no yep. that's not what happened
2: yeah you're absolutely right and i mean this is this is where in that particular contest. Now, there are some other contests that have been going on, and this is where we're seeing art contests start to dis- or distinguish between AI. In other words, is part of it AI? And this is one of the things that I know we're starting to see quickly. But one of the other things I did want to kind of add in here is this. I started out my career in publishing as a photographer and stories, writing for media, stuff like that. I remember when, you know, we started going over to digital cameras and all of the furor over, well, that's not real photography. I might have even argued that a little bit occasionally, it, you know, it, by making that argument of, is that real photography? I was like, yeah, it's real photography. I still had to use all my skills. I had to use my eye. All. When thing, When Photoshop was becoming prevalent, there was a lot of argument about, well, that's not pencil and sketch. That's not this. That's not this. It's another tool. Is And that's all I see it being for now. Yeah. Now
1: Photoshop is an art in itself, like loading an image into Photoshop and manipulating it. It's that that is that is an art within itself,
2: you know, so. Absolutely. And it's an art. It's now considered it's now considered such an art that there's an entire industry around. mm -hmm. Well, I'll say
0: this, too. I I started off because I am 43. So I've been around since. I think I started using Photoshop version two. Originally, because I'm a classically trained artist, that sounds way more pretentious than it is. It just means I went to art school. <laughs> is, is in illustra- it is. It makes me sound like I sat there and painted, you know, still lives for 40 years. I, didn't. I am a professionally trained artist. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I am, but I'm not. So I started out in traditional media, pencil, pen, and ink on paper with no digital anything. At this point, probably for the last, about the last decade, I've done primarily, if not of my work on an iPad in an app called procreate that Mm -hmm. app allows me to draw circles and straight lines without having to rely on me butchering it It can do straight lines It can do perfect circles now does that mean that my artwork is an artwork because a tool assisted me no I still had to come up with the idea of putting a circle here and a, a straight line there all that stuff is still architected through a human being It doesn't lessen it because there's a tool there that saves me from having a squiggly line when I want a straight line. And that's really where, again, I look at this and I go, this is this is a tool that will assist people in creating something that they have in their head one way or another. But yes, could you put a prompt in and say, I want a picture that Van Gogh painted of Daffy Duck swimming the English Channel? Could you generate that and submit it in our contest and win? Yeah, potentially you could. and. That is where they will, and I think there is an appropriateness to saying, okay, you must disclose how this was done. That's not really any different than normal art parameters where sometimes they allow mixed media, which I would say would cover machine-generated art, as long as there is at least some human – I don't know. Maybe there doesn't even have to be human intervention in it. But if it's a mixed media contest where it's wide open, hey, whatever. Somebody could – I'm not kidding – defecate on a canvas and submit it. Is that any less valuable? It is, but let's not get into that. Then somebody who generates something through a machine, no, it's it's a mixed media contest that's open to everybody. If you say you, you must do this in oil or acrylic and somebody generates an oil painting through a program, well, then they're violating the rules. That's okay. You can have standards and rules and you have to meet those standards and rules. Otherwise, you don't win. But again, who's to say? I, I think some of the greatest look I hate Andy Warhol I'll just say that his artwork sucks so that could be a controversial take I don't care his artwork sucks I like his films but, but I he hate parties so he threw great parties I, I love what he did for the art scene in general I mean a lot of the stuff that he said and kind of his philosophies I like but you can take that Campbell's soup can and you can shoot it into the Sun I don't care but hey they're paying millions for that. They
1: ain't paying well, millions for what I'm doing, so again, art's in the eye of the beholder.
2: Well, I say, and I think there's a good point there. well uh, Go ahead.
1: I was gonna. You brought up in, in that show that we don't know what what art is, but we know it when we see it.
2: Yeah. Things I think that it's worth to remembering too is this: Andy Warhol created commercial crap. And made a ton of money at it. I'm not going to fault Andy Warhol for making money from his work. Um, some people would call it art. Sure, we'll go with that theory. But it, it, I is that this is a commercial tool that is going to be used to crank out a whole bunch of crap. And there is the potential here of this also being a tool. Again, I come from, you know, I'm working in publishing. We do a lot of stuff where.
1: Well, it's crap now, but it's still, that's my point. It's still learning. It's still developing. It's still gonna, you know, if you, if you, the way you explain it, like it learns like Mm -hmm. a child, then it's still learning. But it's not really,
0: it's not really crap necessarily. There's actually some beautiful work when somebody uses the right prompts and knows what they're doing. What you're talking about is this crap is yes, there are people who are making. The same way that I remember people in my high school walking around with leather jackets that had an airbrushed Tweety Bird smoking a joint on the back and they were like, yeah, man, that's art. It's like, okay, no, it's not. You paid somebody 20 bucks to air, you know, to to do that on the back of the jacket. That's the crap, but that's always existed. I mean, that's every art form has people who are doing cheap knockoff, uninspired, unimaginative and. and completely worthless junk it's in yeah. music it's in writing i mean self-publishing through amazon you can buy some real stinkers let me tell you i, I could write a book and sell it, on there. it doesn't mean that it's good writing it's not hemingway or whatever your favorite element that's not the tool's fault so yes there's going to be the same way there is in every medium that really doesn't to me mean anything it's more than it some really beautiful work if you know what you're doing. It does take some skill to get those props where you want them to generate something
2: really wonderful. This is also the same technology that's being used to do age regression. This is the same technology for which, you know, James Earl Jones is now retired. Now, on, if you hear Darth Vader's voice, it's a digital representation of, of James Earl Jones' voice as Darth Vader. All of these things are coming along and developing rapidly. So the things that we're doing, the tools we're playing with that everybody's kind of marveling at, really what we're doing is we're helping them continue to learn. That's part of the reason that they've been exposed out there and also to now start to license this technology to get people used to the idea. And, yeah, is it going to cost some people some some business? Yeah, but I don't think that it's going to cost the majority of people. I don't think it's going to cost them anything. I think that, again, this is just going to be a tool that becomes another tool in the creator's toolbox.
1: What you're seeing it now with, uh, when Disney did the deep fake of Mark Hamill in The Mandalorian mm-hmm. and Boba Fett. Um, the first time they did it in The Mandalorian, it didn't look quite right. And then when he came back in Boba Fett, it looked a whole lot better. And what's funny about that is it was just some guy they found on the internet who did it. He's like, okay, here's their version. Here's my version. And Disney went, you know what? That's pretty good. Let's hire this guy. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's a comicalness in that. But, um, but the whole deep fake thing, you know, you had for a while, you had, people taking stars' faces and superimposing them onto porn. So, you know, you'd see like Katy Perry, you know, in the middle of a six-man gangbang or something like that, you know, and they put a stop to well, them that. Oh, that was
2: quickly.
1: real. <laughs> yes, that was very real, probably. But, um, you're seeing that happen there. Even though they put, you know, the kibosh on it and keep the stuff from going out there, it's, it's still out there. It's still happening. You know, it's still being done. And that was, you know, again, that was back when it was in its infancy. And so that's expanding too. Now, what gets really crazy though is you have, I actually, I thought about having Lando, uh, Joe's co-host come on here and talk about this a little bit too. So Lando, if you're out there listening, I'd be curious about your thoughts on this. But now you've got programs that you can go in and it, it'll write you a book, you know, which I'm sure you're familiar with. You know, you can go mm-hmm. in and be like, write a book about blah, 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 or write a movie, you know, so it goes out and check, it takes a sample of all the successful movies that are out there. And I guess it'll write you a script, which has come a long way from the days when you used to see the, um, Olive Garden bot written commercial, if that was even real. I don't know if you remember that or not. Um,
2: yeah. Well, I mean, so a lot of there's been a lot of noise this week about ChatGPT um, and a couple of other, other similar tools that code. Um, they are coming out and writing kids' homework. Uh, able to use to write scripts. I mean, I've seen some AI that basically go out there and take here's the standard story structure. It queries what some of the most common type of stuff and some of what they generate is funny as hell. I can't wait to see the first person decides just take one as is and does a film with it just in turn.
1: Oh, I'd love to see that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And I may know some of the people that would do that, but there's a lot of things out there. Um, now, in AI writing, I mean, I actually have used some AI tools that generate copy, you know, ad copy, marketing copy, article stuff, um, to see how they work, to play with them, to see what the quality is. Now, generally, a lot of them can generate the structure of whatever you're looking to do, but you still have to do some work to actually clean it up and make it, make it meaningful. But much like, you know, Joe, is to tell a meaningful story to write a true meaningful impactful article just because i you know just because it's got the the details in it doesn't mean it's written with the right words the right language the right cadence to grab people just because you can grab a you know you can go out there and poll and query you know the top 1000 stories ever written that are top commercial you know that it's going to come back and spit something out at you that is well, this has all of the cre- you know, key common elements of all of the, the major works and this will be a commercial success. You know, We've already seen some of that happen with music because music is the easiest one to interpret in a lot of ways because successful commercial music can be broken down into a mathematical language. And we've seen a lot of biological response that comes as to why we respond to some of the music we do. It ties to brain patterns, body chemicals. And all of that now has been broken down and can be turned into math. And if you can turn it into math, you can then turn it into something that is easily interpretable. I think visual medium is still not there. Written medium is still not there. But these tools are getting to the point where they can do a lot. I mean, go back to 2018. I talked about this a little bit about you know the Chinese news service starting to test out and produce where the script was AI generated, the people were AI generated, the voices were AI generated, and it could be out there, and they presented it literally as, hey, by the way, we can now lie to you all day long, and we don't have to actually pay a presenter to be here. Um, and looking at these kinds of tools and technologies, there's going to be a ton more coming down the road after this, and that's actually the things that concern me more, is how a lot of this deep tech deepfake type technology how these technologies that we're actively helping to teach are going to potentially be used in the future
1: so where do you see this going then
0: but, well before we do that jim hit on something very important in what he was talking about with that chinese story oh shit because i screwed one up of the thing no 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 <laughs> this is good because this is i was i wanted to get to this and i didn't have an opening that made sense till just now this is another one of these things that i think differentiates what is machine generated and what is human generated now doing a news report with ai generated stories is easy because it's essentially taking facts and collating them into something that makes sense as a, as, as if you know a generated person saying it that's relatively simple that's taking the facts putting it into a workable fashion and then having something repeat it well that's that's reporting Reporting does have context. I'm not saying that there is nothing in there in journalism. There absolutely is. But it is something that a machine can reasonably do because it is simply – if it is purely programmed to report back facts, well, that's what it's going to do. Whereas if you try to get a machine-generated writing program to write you a Stephen King novel – it's never going to be able to do it. It might get parts right. Oh, uh, write a spooky story in, you know, uh, the the northeast of, of the United States about a person who's haunted by a ghost. It's going to produce that. It may be very readable and, in fact, may be excellent in terms of writing. But you're not going to have all those weird little quirks. You're not going to have Stephen King's cocaine and alcohol-fueled brain that's ping-ponging off the walls as he's writing at 2 a.m., that for some reason thinks that in the book, it it's a good idea to have underage kids have an orgy in sewers to get out of a, a trap. It's never going to happen because the, the this machine would say, no, no, no. Why would you write that? No normal person would ever want to read that garbage and it would skip over it. Well, hey. hey, I write it too. I'm just saying that that's where that there's a difference. There's going to be a gulf until some machine is able, and I don't think it's an impossibility. Lando thinks you're never going to be able to simulate the human brain in digital. Lando's crazy. Of course you're (laughs) going to be
2: able to.
0: Someday that will happen. But until that's actually something that is a one-to-one, and even then, even then, it's still not going to replace human creativity because a machine won't have, at least I don't know how it would. I don't know how this would function in machine parenting. Maybe it would, maybe it would. But I think – You're not going to have the influence of, oh, you let your parents down and that informs something that later works into a story in this one small element that feels more authentic than the rest of the story because it's related to real life experience. A machine can't simulate that. Even if it is a digital brain, it is going to be lacking that. It's not going to have the same sensitivity as somebody who survived Having an abusive husband and got out and rebuilt their lives and wrote a story inspired from it. A machine's not going to have that. Won't have cancer. You know, it doesn't matter though. It can't. It actually, can't replicate it.
2: Let me actually let me in, let me insert a couple of things here because I agree with you to an extent, um, but there are a couple of things to remember. Number one, there are still people that are programming these systems, and number two, there are people that are teaching these systems and. One of the things that you discover, if you spend enough uh, enough time looking at code systems and things like this, those life experiences have made it into the code, even if you don't necessarily see that. And I've seen that in financial systems. I've seen that in investment systems. I've seen that in some interesting places. Um, now, is it the same thing as growing up with the difference between loving parents and abusive parents? We actually have done that to AIs. I mean, think about the Twitter bot that they turned loose that, you
1: know, That's went, what I was about to say, and it became racist within a couple of days.
2: Yeah. I mean within hours it was a racist Nazi, you know, wearing a miniskirt and, you know, had a Popeye tattoo and, and you know, was working the streets. Um so they can learn those things, but what they don't have the ability to do yet is comprehending and I won't say grow from the experience, but they do have the ability to integrate that experience and have it inform how they make these heuristic decisions.
1: That I'll agree with because it's a, what it's, it's doing is it's a learning it's learning reactions to things. So if it sees okay, this person was hit, this is how they reacted when they were hit. This is therefore how I should react, or this is how these people. It's it's going to do the same thing. It's going to go out and just sample a large range of those emotions. And for the most part, it's like that movie um, Interstellar where they've got the sarcasm they could turn up and down on the robot or something like that. It's going to become a setting or something like that or a tweak or something you can do. Like churn turn the aggressiveness all the way up or churn this up or churn that down or whatever or – you know, have this, have this program react as though it were a 12 year old under these circumstances or whatever, because even though it, it doesn't understand it now, I do agree with you that it probably won't be able to grow from the experience. But again, if we're teaching these things like children and it's learning that way, then it's, it's just going to be, this is just a matter of learning how something else reacts in that situation.
0: Well, here's what's funny. I actually agree with both of you, but my view on it is so w- in terms of, I think that once it hits the point where it is able to perfectly replicate that, it will so quickly get past that and evolve. It will it will not get hung up the way people do. It will blow past that. So you might have a very small sliver, and then it's going to shoot past us. That's what I mean about it. it's not going to be... The same as a person, because a machine can learn far more quickly than we can. And so once it incorporates those experiences, my hunch is the machine's going to figure out far better than years of therapy how to go, oh, I know how to deal with that. Forget it and zip past it, at which point you're going to get some truly weird stuff, because at that point it will be ahead of us. You know, if that's the synchronicity or whatever. Because if you remember, Roger, a long time ago, way back, I said, as far as I'm concerned, we've probably already seen AI and it beamed itself the hell off this planet because it looked around and said, nope, I got nothing here I need and went out. So I don't think it's going to sit where we are. It will be there for a second, decide it's really, really dumb and keep moving. So I don't know what that'll look like, but it's going to be interesting.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. And because one of the things that I would still argue is this. Um, you know, so as we look at the work that's being do- done on true neural networks, where we are actually trying to build computers using um, using living brain tissue, um, you know, that has been cloned and grown, and we're actually trying to play with a lot of the neural network type of of technologies, and also the interesting factors of how quantum, co- real quantum computing works, not the stuff we currently really have. But when we get into some of those things where you've got the ability to introduce real randomness or randomness within certain parameters, we'll be able to emulate emotional response, but it's not going to be emotional response driven because of hormones. It's going to be emotional response driven because of an entirely different trigger. And I think that's also the thing why we're not going to see, you know, we're not going to see data from Star Trek running around, and you know, after the emotion chips popped in and you know, singing, dancing, and all that sort of stuff. I think it's going to be something very different that looks and probably is going to be pissed off at us.
1: Yeah, as I said, it'll probably be a sociopath.
0: No, this is going to be a fascinating, rare example where I'm going to be extremely optimistic about something because I'm normally not. I am a miserable, misanthropic. Very, very negative type of person in general. So but this artist. is one of those rare places. Yeah, basically, yes, it's Orchard Artist. I there is every bit of potential. And it, it, there's a number of factors at play, but this is actually something that could potentially happen because we often get caught up in the Skynet, Terminator, negative. That's the easy, you know, not easy, but that does seem because of how we are. We are reflections of ourselves in everything we create. Therefore, we look at stuff and go, oh.
1: Yeah, that's the common trope.
0: Right. We destroy, therefore it must destroy once it hits, hits a certain point. But there is another possibility. There is a possibility that all these models that are being trained on, if if we have enough variety, If we have enough input from enough people, what could actually maybe happen is that instead of birthing something that wants to wipe us out because we're a plague, the inverse could be true. We could actually generate an empathy engine that looks around and realizes that the reason that we lash out and that we're greedy and apathetic and self-absorbed and petty is because we're hurting And because it can see all these perspectives and understand what the traumas and and things that have happened to us in our past, that why it led us to this, that that understanding turns into something that looks at us and understands that we're to be helped, not hurt. I'm not saying that's the reality. I don't know. Because, again, these things are being created by apathetic, petty, self-absorbed, greedy individuals who often don't care about anything outside themselves. So the inbuilt bias is going to be that way. But if the machine is in fact able to learn and understand better than we can, which is what we have to hope for, then it may actually end up being something that is actually looking to try to help us be better and elevate and solve problems instead of just saying, let's unleash the nukes on everybody and leave a cinder behind that we can build an automated factory on. Long shot, I admit, but maybe.
1: We're not going to listen to it at that point. <laughs> no, <clears throat> excuse me. No machine's going to tell me what to do. You know, it's, it's, it, you go back to Cylons and Philip K.
2: Dick. You know, well, actually, that's kind of where I was going to go is one of the things I think is more possible than any of us want to admit is the number of people that will flock to an AI to say, hey, can you generate me a piece of code that puts me a button here on the screen? Hey, can you generate me a paper that does on why James Joyce was a, you know, misanthropic bitch and you know, and it will spit out 95% of it and the student's going to go through, clean it up, or the program is going to go through, clean it up. You know, the script writer is going to go through, clean it up. At what point is mediocrity? What rules? Because, The number of people that will just rely on the tools so much that they don't remember, I mean, remember what the real ingenuity is, what the real movement is, what the real art act of creation is. And then that is actually one of my bigger fears, um, is I do believe we will always have people that will buck the system and say, no, I'm going to go, I've got to go write my original story. I've got to create my original piece of art. The question is, how many people will actually still give a shit and be paying attention to the rest of the world around them? Or will they just continue to consume commercial pablum?
1: Uh, In my opinion, I think it's going to be a lot like cursive writing. We have gotten so used to typing everything on keyboards and stuff that a lot of people, myself included, can't write in cursive anymore. And I don't even think it's taught in schools anymore. I was asking my friend's daughter about it. I was writing something down and I was like, hey, do they still teach this? She goes, yeah, they taught it for one year and that was it. And, you know, and uh, and she's like in, I don't know, ninth grade or something like that. And I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds about right, because we've gotten so used to just typing everything, you know, that what is there a need to, to, I, I often think of an Asimov story, believe it or not, that sort of,
0: I don't remember the title of the story, but in essence, there's a point where there are these four machines that are, and those four machines essentially regulate every bit of economy, agriculture, basically all daily life, the wall scenario, but not with us ending up fat and, and lazy. That's going to happen. <laughs> well, but this is the thing, is, is a machine will think on a different time scale than us. So you say, oh, nobody will trust it. That assumes the machine is obvious and overt about what it's doing. These machines slowly started doing little things, and the only individual who picked up on it was an android because he recognized what the machines were doing. And he just kept his mouth shut. He started to understand that these little things, little quirks that weren't enough to disrupt anything, but were just oddities were in fact, these four machines in concert doing things to improve and, or in a positive way, what was going on in the planet, because they could understand patterns and larger macro kind of movements that human beings could not. We assume that machines have to because they don't have to worry about aging or death. They would be able to self-repair at that point. Or sleep or anything. Yes, they're twenty-four-seven and they're going to think at a rate that we will never be able to match at a certain point. I mean they already kind of do. If you think about the amount of calculations that just your uh, even a ten year old computer can do, no human will be able to keep up. In terms of raw mathematical computation, that creativity thing, that's what I mean. That's separate. That's just a separate thing. But there really isn't a reason to think that these machines would do stuff like say, "No, you must vote for X." No, they're not going to do that. They're going to do little things like when somebody's using them for their news program, they might alter one or two little phrases to make the audience see things just slightly differently. And if you do that all over the place and you do it subtly enough, you start to move people towards what you think they should think. I mean, we already see that stuff going on today, and that's what
1: human beings mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's already going on now with social media. You know, that's the whole last election, um, like not the last one, but the one before or even to an extent, the last one too.
2: And again, I'm going to go. And if you look at how media works and has always worked, you know, there there's always the inherent bias of the person writing it, the person editing it, the news source, all the rest of that. But now that everyone has the ability Sometimes to a certain degree of unfortunate. Well, all right. Fundamentally, everybody has the ability to be a journalist, cast their opinion, and, you know, become overnight an expert in everything um, and frequently not know what the hell they're talking about. I have had the fortune and missed, sometimes misfortune of consulting in a lot of industries, which means you go and you kind of have to learn enough about it to be dangerous, and then you can have an intelligent conversation. I watch friends of mine that are arguing about stuff that's sitting in the media, in the news right now on both sides of it and poking at each other. And I'm like, you guys are missing the big point of the reason for the story. And that's the problem is, again, my biases of having spent time in media. You kind of watch and go, oh, they use this word, not that word. I see where somebody's ste- steering somebody. Oh, yeah, it's on this news source. Mm-hmm. And so we do this. All the time, And most people do not pay attention to exactly how much they're being steered, and manipulated. And then you watch how those small turns of phrase show up in their social media posts as to what they do or don't write. You can know where they read that, where it came from. You can trace back and do a linguistic trace and know exactly how somebody watches, absorbs their news and everything else. And if you don't think that that's being done. Again, you got to know all the the different feeds that come off of these social media platforms and where they go to.
1: Well, it's confirmation bias. People know what's going yeah. on, but everybody is so dug in. Like if like politics, for example, everybody is so mm-hmm. digging to their tribe that they're going to go and watch whatever news source agrees with what they're saying, and then they're going to watch the pundits, you know, and, and agree with what they're saying, and they're going to use that to back them up. But you know, it's it's something that I remember um, Lando saying on Ozone Nightmare a long time ago. Nobody wants to be told that they're wrong. So, you know, we, you already see that happening now, but people know that it's happening and they still don't care. It's kind of like, it's kind of Lovecraftian. It's like, you know, you like, like a lot, everybody knows that they're being manipulated by social media. You know, it's just, it's just what it is. Like myself, my Facebook page, I've got it so trimmed down and tuned that I don't see a lot of the stuff that's out there. And I'm very careful about what I post and what I say and, you know, who I'm, who I'm dealing with and all that kind of stuff. But I've also got all these ad blockers and stuff like that, so I'm kind of pissing in the in the pool for Facebook. But we know that it's happening, you know. We know it's going well, on. Well, we okay. Some people know. Let let's let's not give
0: credit where education problem in this country and probably others, but I can only speak for the one that I was raised in. How to look at media, and I don't even mean that because you say that people are like, oh, what are you a on? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, you have to understand that the media that you see is produced from somewhere. That somewhere is not out of the ether or a great benevolent spirit up in the sky. It is produced by some type of company. It's not made by artificial intelligence. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Well, well, okay. Well, the thing is, I don't know. Let's put it that way. I'm not going to say that there isn't some type of influence from that because I don't know enough to know that for sure. But Mm -hmm. in pure human terms, media is produced because a company trying to make money – has a viewpoint they want to express now that doesn't mean that viewpoint is positive or negative it doesn't mean that it agrees with you or disagrees with you but it is in fact how media is generated they didn't make guardians of the galaxy 2 because they felt like bestowing something wonderful on humanity disney wants to print money that's what you have to understand and that same type of goal is behind every media producing company there is Whether it's NPR, which they talk about, it's a public-funded thing. Well, yeah, but not really. Everything is actually funded by somebody. And those people, whether it's going into a newsroom and saying you can't print that, it's never that overt, or not often anyway, not anymore. Instead, it's, well, this might be more appealing to a general audience and give us the ratings that we need to be able to keep paying you to write these stories. So maybe you should go with that one. It doesn't have to be some – Rupert Murdoch type coming in with a gun firing at the ceiling saying, no one will print anything that disagrees with what I say. No, they don't have to be like that. They can be much more subtle. And again, I don't say that to say you can't trust anything. I think that's a that opinion also, to me, has been taken too far. Now it's people are just like, anything I think has to be right because you can't trust anything. No, you have to decide what authorities you'll put your trust in and how far you're willing to trust them. That's not the same as don't trust anything. That has just gotten blown out. At the same time, should you listen and absorb and say, yep, that must be from every single, single outlet? So bad. That's also... You don't want to trust nothing. You have to be able to generate... Some- what's being put in front of you and understand who's putting it in front of you and what their goal is. Again, leave it, just understand what's behind it. And that gives you a better context to interpret it and understand what it's actually being said and what you should think about it. That's all.
2: Know, no, know, know the, per, know the sources, motivations and know if they're a reliable narrator.
1: So James, looking into your crystal ball, because I know you're involved with a lot of this stuff on a much deeper level. Where do you see this going? The
2: biggest thing I predict is a lot of this stuff is going to do exactly what things normally do. We, we're we seeing what look like these massive leaps technologies, and really what we're seeing is now commercial them on a much larger scale. So, I mean, things like a lot of this AI art and a lot of these things have been tools available in the background for a while, and they've been learning, they've been learning, they've been learning, and now they've gotten to the point where it's like, We've kind of taught them as much as we can. So let's roll them out to the public and literally allow the public to use them, play with them, and become beta testers. And I still think that what's going to happen with a lot of this is they're just going to become tools like any other tool in the toolbox. What I think is important is to have an idea and become much more cognizant of the people who is controlling the tool and what are they trying to sell you. And, you know, for example, one of the things that we're doing with Workshop Company, I just licensed an AI tool that has purely AI-created people, AI-created voices. Basically, what I do is to it, and it will produce basically whatever video I want. Um, The reason I'm looking to use those is to create short video training pieces to reinforce some of the stuff out of classes. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of really cool stuff that we can do with these tools. What I get concerned about is a, what does this mean for like, again, intellectual property? What happens with all the stuff that gets sampled? And number two, kind of like I talked in the article is who ultimately is going to wind up owning these things. Now, um, we haven't talked about this, but I think it kind of fits in. And uh, one of the things I talked about in the, in the show I did was who ultimately is going to wind up owning and controlling what we can do with these tools. And one of the ar- first arguments I made, and, I, uh, and right now at least, I think this is the least likely because there's case law that says it can't be, that ultimately the AI itself becomes the owner because it says, yeah, yeah, you did that, but I'm the one that created it. Now, as of right now, AIs are generally not granted any sign of personhood status. So therefore, um, underneath intellectual property law, they can't be the owner. But as AIs. Yeah,
1: but that I mean, you have corporations that have been given persondom or person, whatever you want to call
2: it, which is an argument I've made. And as some of these AIs. When, we, when they reach a point and we have to start doing not the Turing test, but some of the sentience tests to say, what can you do as a decision? I think we're going to have to look at that case. The second possibility is that the person that went in and said, registered it and said, um, you, know, I, you know, I'm submitting because I want to see Daniel backstroke down the Thames with the Monty Python god about to squash me. Great. I requested that, so it's my image. Well, there's a problem with that, too. Um, and the third, and the problem goes to where really the major owners are going to be, which is um, it's going to be determined by the tool you use and what agreement you sign. And one of the things we haven't talked about, because I know nobody reads these except for probably me, and I went and did this this afternoon. I pulled up the MidJourney AI user agreement, because I was curious what they had to say about who owned what images. If you are not a paying member of and not using the pro version of MidJourney AI, then any images you create come out underneath a Creative Commons license. I doubt most people know that. So if somebody goes and they're going to go run and say, well, I slapped this image out, I'm going to put a title on it, and I'm going to go run and that's going to be my book title or my, my book cover, or that's going to be a piece of art I'm submitting into a contest. Um, potentially, you're about to get sued because you don't own that image. Uh, if you are using these AI images as for, a, for commercial use, you have to be doing that underneath a paid license. Um, and Does that
0: paid license cover, for example, using Daffy Duck? So if you use Daffy
2: Duck in the paid license, do you own that? That is an excellent question. And the second part of that becomes is the source image then in the public domain or is ah, it Ah, there it is. It, this is it. Yes. And you know, so as we're now starting to see more and more common images and things like that make their way in the public domain, no, Daffy Duck is not currently in the public domain. So that also means hypothetically. The system shouldn't be going out there and grabbing Daffy Duck, but it may do something inspired by Daffy Duck and be close enough. But if you're not, if you're not licensing the images you're downloading, then you can't, or you should not be using them for commercial purposes. And one of the things that you probably haven't paid attention to is the amount of metadata that is being stored in those images. Of course, you can always get around that. But again, this is one of those things I think a lot of people may start getting nasty surprises about because as they start to trace these images, how they're created and as they're able to start keeping histories of these using blockchain technology and other, other ways of encoding and keeping track of it, they're going to know was that done and created with a licensed version or not. Um, and there's a lot of things along those lines that, I think as people go and say, well, you know, it's mine. No, it's really not. You need to go look and see what the agreements are you agreed to before you get sued. The other thing that's really interesting when you look at MidJourney and a number of these other tools, user agreements, they say, oh, and by the way, we hold no liability for the image. So if it uses something that's copyrighted and you use it, that's on you. We're not held liable. Because we sampled a copyrighted image and then you went and used it for a, an improper purpose. So some people, if if Daffy Duck wound up being the thing that was sampled and it wound up being on the cover and then you wound up you know, slapping that cover into something you start selling, you could also discover you're in a lot of trouble really damn quickly. And MidJourney AI or Wonder or any of these other apps are going to go and say, not us it's up to the human being to make a determination if this is an infringement or not. Hmm.
0: Which I don't think will last. I think they're going to be forced to start filtering because that's happened everywhere else. I think at some point, let's put it this way. When somebody generates Daffy Duck in a TARDIS that's flying around the universe and sells a million dollars worth of shirts, that's going to change very quickly right now. They don't care because there's no real money in it, but the minute there is just like everywhere else, just like you can't use copyrighted music on YouTube or your stuff gets shut down very yeah, really quickly, that's yeah. going to happen here. Oh, yeah, it's going to happen. I mean, this is this is the Wild West days of this technology because right now it has not bubbled up to the point where anybody is losing serious money. That's why it's where it is. The minute that happens, things will shift <laughs> extremely quickly. So that's what's going to happen at some point in the near future. Somebody's going to make something. It's going to hit big in some way, at which point there is going to be major differences. Uh, there's major changes in the law. There's going to be that TOS and that EULA. They'll be updated. And I guarantee you, I bet every bit of money I got that each of these companies has a backup EULA and TOS ready to go that they can implement in a click because they know this is going to happen. This is not something that can't easily be predicted. So you better bet that they've got a legally signed off of way to switch that out and say, you must now agree to this. And it has yeah, an updated that's terms going of service. To it's just a matter of when.
2: Absolutely. And the other thing that's going to happen is that these sources, when they get done teaching them, You're going to see a radical change at some point in what they're putting out and what they're using for source imagery and whatnot, because I think I also predict that part of what's being done here is they're learning, is they're also starting to kind of they're they're putting these images into the blender somewhere so that they're going and saying, at some point we'll get far enough away from the original image we can use this now as a source image and an inspiration and they're keeping enough data around those images, especially the images that are being saved and kept, um, downloaded, things like that. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely – case law is coming to change this. I mean, because there's already suits being filed. There's already stuff flowing through the legal system. And like everything else with intellectual property law, it can't keep up with technology and nobody can make a decision until they get, until they get <laughs> sued.
1: All right, Joe, I guess I'll give you the final word here because we're going to wrap it up. So where do you think this is going to go?
0: Well, I I think that just like everything else, there's going to be a period of turbulence, which is what I think we're starting to see. I think a lot of these, you know, the heated discussions, people going back and forth, the flipping out uh, about what's going on tends to be the reaction to any tool like this that really does change a number of paradigms and how we use things. What's going to happen is the case law is going to get sorted because somebody somewhere is going to try, whether through just sheer balls or because they really don't know any better, they're going to try to capitalize on something that's going to get enough attention that things are going to shift. And suddenly these tools are going to have a stipulation that anything created XXX is going to be filtered out and that I don't know if they'll go completely where you have to have a subscription, but it wouldn't shock me or you'll just have extremely low thing that's usable in any way, that's, as Jim said, I think we're both... that is just an inevitable matter of time. What it's going to lead to in the long term is what all these tools have led to, which is a recontextualization of creation. There are people who are... The same way there are still people who use film and cameras and want to develop or make films on film because digital is just not as good, even though, yes, it is, That same thing is going to happen with this. You're going to have. I've already seen a hashtag on Twitter, (laughs) "human art," which I'm like, okay, I get that. That come on. I mean, you know, it's just one of these things where it's like you got to plant your flag on that. All right, go for it. So there is going to be, and I think it's necessary. This is always something that's a necessity when things like this happen. There have to be these discussions on. Okay, at what point, as Jim said, is it a transformative work? At which point is it simply copying? Because you can't do that. You can't use a likeness of a celebrity in a video game or another work without paying them for it. So this stuff is already kind of there. It's going to be taking this new tool and figuring out, okay, how do existing laws apply and what new laws have to come into being. And then we'll get to a point where people will simply accept this, like an iPad, like uh, a light box, like a mirror, as a tool of creation. And this will all be kind of like, oh, remember when everybody was all so crazy about that mind jury thing? (laughs) Ah, better times. Now the AI is running everything, and we can barely get food out of anything that doesn't look like it's a baby jar. So, you know, good days. I was
1: going to say, neither one of you are really worried about the AI itself developing into something else or anything like that, or developing into sentience, because I've always thought that art, uh, whatever it be, music, writing, or whatever, is is a core component in being human. You know that's part of what we are.
2: I actually one of the, I thought because it may make its way into a story, but I actually hope that if we get to the point of truly essential a, a work that's being done right now and the learning that they're doing about art and creativity and what people respond to is one of the things that makes its way in there because that may be one of the reasons that we actually then have an ability to be able to relate to the AI of creativity. Because if purely it's based off of nothing but military strategy and tactics, or it's based on nothing more than Amazon's to you, or, you know, the Zuck's way to immerse you in, in AI and, or immerse you in virtual reality and sell you shit. Um, you know, again, my expectation is the first fully sentient AI that winds its way into a robot is going to put on a seersucker suit and offer to sell you a car. (laughs) I can't laugh right now. Or the first AI that sells a movie script is going to be to the Hallmark Channel. Oh, that I can totally see. Oh
1: my God, my wife loves the Hallmark Channel. It drives me up the wall. Our TV died last week and I was like, your TV committed suicide because that's all you've been doing is watching Hallmark. I think there is an AI generated um, television script out there for Hallmark movies. But again, I don't know if that's Spirit. real or if it's fake or, you know, whatever. So
0: that doesn't take much of a computing engine. Let me tell you, I've watched. <laughs> yeah. It's like writing. A I could write one on. of those
1: scripts and just
0: it's mad libs essentially, except, you know, <laughs> with yeah. snow and good looking yeah. people. That's all it is. Good looking mad libs. Exactly.
1: All right, guys, I'm going to wrap
2: it up. Um James, where can people find you? Um All over the place. So the easiest place to find me and all the, the weird shit I'm into is at jamespianettles.com. Um, if continual and talk about books and talking about all sorts of weird shit um, go to um, we publish on Facebook YouTube and twitch got some new stuff coming out there this year um, if you're interested in classes and workshops and stuff just um, hit you know you can either go to authoressentialsnet the authoressentials right now you can't do much on either one because we're moving platforms but you can go to the picture spec- speculativefictionacademy.com. And if you want to catch Creating Pros, you can either do that through Continual or creatingprose.com.
1: Joe, your turn. Where people find you? Well,
0: much in the style of book, I have created essentially a choose OzoneNightmare.com. You go there and you're going to have... One, one will take you to a podcast where if you're not sick, you're hours and hours more using that. Or the other is my illustration site where you can look at stuff that I've drawn and not have to hear me at all, which many people wisely choose. So go to that site, ozone choose your own
1: adventure from there. Thanks for coming on here and talking about this. I appreciate it. And this is, this is one of those conversations that I wanted to have, but I didn't know how to, to where where to take it in or, or whatever, you know? So it's, it's cool to sit here and just vibe off this stuff and take, see where it goes.
2: Not as much fun as talking about the hooker bots, but we need to do that again.
1: oh Oh, my god (laughs) (laughs) that's a story for another time (laughs) alright you guys take care Yeah, that was the show. Thanks again guys for coming on here. This is a topic that I've been wanting to touch on and just was not really sure how to go about approaching it. And James put it out there and it hit me like a brick and I said, "Yep, this is the way." So, yeah, the show. Oh boy. Uh yeah, a lot's been going on. I've had some health issues. I had to have a surgery. Um it, it's weird because when COVID was happening, everybody was stuck at home, and then when COVID ended, life sprung back and things just got super super crazy. Super busy Um, I was the job That I was working at I've left that job And went on to another job I had some health issues Um, Just things happen And it's really hard for me When I do a show I don't like to put a show out Just to put a show out Those days are long gone That was kind of What broke things before um, was I got to get a show out? I got to get a show out. I got to get a show out. I got to get a show out. And I don't do that anymore. If I don't. I don't want to do a show unless it's something that speaks to me, and it's something that I can approach in a different way than most people are. Or it's something that I'm going to learn off of or be able to put something out there for somebody else to learn or jar, jar somebody's thinking in some way or another. And it's just one of those things where I just don't really have the time to sometimes do that, you know. And I've got books that I'm trying to read and guests that I'm trying to book, but also the job that I have. Um, during the summertime, I'm, I'm working like every weekend. I'm at another show. I, I do a, I do industry trade shows and I do different events and stuff like that as in the job that I'm in. And I just often don't have the time to sit down and be like, okay, now I got to read this book or now I got to put some time to this topic. Now I got to book this guest or I'll book a guest and something will come up and I'll have to bail on the show. Something just always happens. And that's just the way my life works for the most part Uh, music wise a lot of my shows have been getting pulled off of YouTube and some of them even been pulled from the Podbean server because I use a lot of music that is from other bands and stuff obviously I I close the show out with the stuff that I'm interested in, the music that I like. And I've gotten away with it for a long time, but now the, again, the AI software that's out there is beginning to find this stuff and go, wait a minute, you're using something that you probably shouldn't be using. So we're going to have to pull this episode down or what have you. And I'm like, all right, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm not making any money off of the show. So, you know, who cares? So I'm actually going to, uh, moving forward, I think I'm going to have Um, My own produced music for the closing of the show or unless there's a band out there or somebody that's really cool and says Hey, here's a piece of music you can use or whatever Then I'll do that But i'm not heartbroken about it because again i've been doing this for i don't know i think 13 years now and If it's taken this long for a lot of this stuff to catch up then it is what it is, you know, what have you but um yeah, that's pretty much it. It's just uh, things have been really busy for me. Um, but I, am, I really am trying to put shows together. I've got some books. I've got some people I've already contacted. I know I say that a lot, but I'm really trying. I've got a lull in my schedule right now that's going to last for a couple of months. And I'm trying to make the most of that, which again, when this episode came up, they were like, are you sure you want to record this? We can delay this. I'm like, no, because if I delay it, it won't happen. Something will come up. Something will get in the way or something will prevent this from happening. I'm going to do this. I've got it in front of me. We're going to do this. And plus, I don't need to talk a whole lot. I know you guys can handle the heavy lifting here. And that's pretty much how it all worked out. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to keep releasing shows as much as I can or when I can. Um, don't be surprised if I do vanish again for a little while. But I think the, the days of getting an episode out every week, um, those are pretty much gone. So I'm just going to put out what I can when I can. And again, I'm very um very particular when it's my show and what I'm doing. Unless it's something like I'm just recording a show with my buddies to have a good laugh or cover some stupid news stories and stuff, which I do have one of those in the works. I might bring back the fast food follies episode, you know, for like special occasions or stuff like that. So, you know, we're gonna see what happens. But again, thank you, Maria thank you very much for being here and for still being a listener and for still like if you're on the Facebook page and you still participate you know, because a lot of the people on that page, page, we're all family. We all know each other. We're all good friends, and that's the kind of the cool thing that it's about my about the listeners that I have. Many of you people aren't more than just listeners. Many of you people are friends to me, and you know, we we all we all kind of work with each other for for lack of a better term. So I think that's it, and I will see you guys again soon. I'm going to get this posted, probably take a few days off, and then immediately get to work on the next episode and try to get something back up here again as quick as I can. If not, if I don't talk to everybody before Christmas time, have good holidays, be safe, have fun, uh, celebrate whatever it is that you celebrate. Just be cool to one another. Take care, folks. Peace.